0: The moment I thought it had traction was I got an email from an organization called Vestergaard Franston. I remember this to this day. And they said, we are working on a, a project in Kenya and we've got 4,000, is it 3,000 or 4,000 data collectors using ODK? And I responded in an hour and it's like, did you have a typo? Did you mean to say 30 <laughs> or 3,000 <000 laughs> or, or, or 3 or 300? No, And they responded back and said, no, 3,000.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to episode four of Aid Evolved, a podcast about technology, poverty, and health. In this space, we'll be speaking with individuals who've built their lives and careers at the intersection of these sectors. Folks who are fighting poverty or improving healthcare and trying to see if maybe technology can help us do that better than we've done in the past. Today I'm speaking with Yao Anakwa. He's the founder and CEO of ODK, Open Data Kit. ODK's mission is to design, build, deploy, and support offline data collection systems in low resource settings. It's one of the most popular data collection tools in the aid sector, and it forms the foundation of a massive community of users from literally every country in the world. To give you a taste of uh, some of the users, I, I have a quote here from Jane Goodall. You know, Jane Goodall, the woman who studied the chimps. Jane writes, With ODK, we've been able to give voice to hundreds of village forest monitors in Tanzania, Uganda, Congo, and Eastern DRC so they can help conserve their ecosystems for the benefit of future generations. In this conversation, Yao shares a story of how ODK took off. Now, there's a bunch of gems in this conversation I'd encourage you to pay attention to. From its beginning as a sabbatical-slash-internship project, he mentions the name that they almost gave ODK, but didn't? He shares a few words in homage to the late and great Gaetano Borriello, his mentor and advisor who laid the foundation for his success with ODK. And towards the end he talks about the grim reality of how do you pay the bills when you're writing software for which the whole point is to give it away for free. Okay, enough monologuing on my part. Without further ado, here's Yao. Can you talk a little bit about ODK, what is it? How does it work? If I'm some random person you know wanting to do something on a phone, how would I use it and why?
0: Well, if you're a random person wanting to do something on the phone, we, we welcome you to the software. <laughs> There's <laughs> lots of exciting opportunities there. Yeah, so at its heart, ODK is offline data collection software. It lets you build powerful offline forms to collect the data you need wherever it is. The way that it generally works is that you first start by building a, a form. These forms can include, obviously, you know, text and numbers, the kinds of things you see on a sheet of paper. But with ODK, you can also include photos and GPS locations. You can have skip logic, calculations. You can have multiple languages. You can connect to a fingerprint scanner. You can scan barcodes. You can get background GPS. So all those things are possible within the form. All of this uh, enables you to work offline. So you can either collect the data offline on your mobile device, which is what a lot of people do, um, or in in the web app. And then forms and submissions, they are synchronized to a server uh, when a connection is found. We have users who go for months without syncing to the server. So it really is offline. And then when you're done, you can either download your data as a CSV or an Excel file, or you can connect apps like Power BI or R directly to the server and use it to create your dashboards or your reports. So at the end of the day, it's you know, one way to think about it is: oh, it's it's a replacement for my paper form other way to think of it is like a survey software that's super powerful and super flexible and the big differentiator is that it's designed to work really well offline with in areas like DRC or the Amazon rainforest and it's been around for a, for a long time
1: Gotcha so I'm imagining something like SurveyMonkey or Google Forms except you can put it on your phone and you can take it to the middle of nowhere
0: Exactly and way just way more powerful so yeah the Google Forms <laughs> and SurveyMonkey thing is 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 a great example but you know Google Forms can't collect fingerprint scanners or can't connect to a, a soil sensor to determine moisture or you can't sort of play videos as part of your Google Form. So it's the same concept but taking to sort of the next the next level.
1: Are there any particular users or use cases that you're most proud of that you wanted to to highlight maybe from the past year or two?
0: Yeah, for sure. I'll start with a very small example. So a small example is that there's a guy, I think he was in Colombia or something like that, who used an ODK form to build a jukebox for his wife, huh. where, you know, <laughs> I know it's crazy, right? Um,
1: <laughs> how romantic. <laughs>
0: how romantic indeed. Here's a form. <laughs> um, so you can imagine that he has a form that has a set of questions that says, you know, what type of music you want to listen to. And then he gives you a drop-down list of the different songs that are available. You select the one. And then ODK plays that particular song and again, It's all offline. So that's a very simple huh. example, not our target use case for sure, but it's- cool. <laughs> Are you sure? Music's a big industry. <laughs> <laughs> and then on a bigger side, uh, the projects that we're really proud of these days is uh, stuff that has to do with COVID-19. In Honduras, uh, they have about, let's see, 85,000 teachers who are tracking the progress of about 2 million students with ODK. Um, and so wow. the teachers are- you know, reporting in about how remote learning is going and they're using ODK um, to do that. So that's, you know, millions of students. Um, it's a really big project. Another really big project is in Nigeria where the Ministry of Agriculture uh, is mapping 2 million farms and again, here they have about 70,000 data collectors who are going house to house and walking plots and measuring exactly how wide each plot is. And all this information is to help the government figure out how much arable land is available, What inputs are needed to keep these lands um, fertile um, because, you know, there's a pandemic going on and they want to make sure local food supply um, is working. So that's an example. And then certainly all over uh, the world um, for polio survey- disease surveillance and COVID-19 surveillance, um, much many of the countries who are affiliated with the WHO, World Health Organization, are using ODK in some way for their um, disease tracking and contact tracing. So um, it just goes to show you that the software is, designed to be generic. So I've given you examples in health. Um, there's examples in agriculture and examples in education. Um, our focus continues to be social impact, um, but there's no particular sector that we're, we're focused on.
1: So let's dive into a bit of the backstory, you know, the behind the scenes view of ODK. And specifically, I was wondering if we could start off um, with, you know, the beginning of ODK and, and you at the beginning of ODK, you know, like when you first started this journey, like what what did you have going for you? You know, were, did you were you a software guru? Were you a development guru? Did you have tons of cash? Like, how, what what were, what were the assets that you were working with when you were like, well, maybe I'm going to try building this this ODK? Thing. I had nothing.
0: I had nothing. I would <laughs> come with just my hands and the shirt on my back when I started ODK. Um, no, so I was um, I was a grad student at the University of Washington in Seattle. Um, I was wrapping up my master's, I was a PhD student, and I was wrapping up my my master's work. And I saw this talk from a guy that you know, that a lot of people know, Neil Lesh, um, who was- that guy. That guy, yeah, who was interestingly enough, was a former grad student at UW. So he came by and was giving a talk about his work wandering East Africa, uh, writing software and helping out hospitals. And he said Partners in Health um, had an opportunity in Rwanda to help uh, set up the medical record system called OpenMRS. And I was not particularly excited about the research I was doing at the time and so took the opportunity to volunteer at Partners in Health, they accepted me, Um, I went down there for about six months and had a great time setting up this medical record system and during that experience I really learned the power of technology in that for a a use case like uh, HIV and TB where you have chronic care patients who are coming back over and over again. Paper just doesn't really work for record keeping, um, and so technology can really make a difference. And so it's with some of that experience in mind, when I I, I came back um, to Seattle, actually technically I didn't come back, I was wandering the beaches of Tanzania, <laughs> um, and I got an email from Gaetano, my advisor, um, and he had said, hey, I'm going to Google to start working on this mobile data collection thing, it's going to be on Android, it's going to be great, and I said, nah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not, really, not oh really interested. I'm not really interested. And so um, it took a lot of convincing, but eventually I was convinced and came to work on it. So I would say the assets that I had at the time was I had been in graduate school, fairly technical, obviously. Um, not the world's greatest software engineer, but I could build software. Um, I was born in, in Ghana, um, so I had a lot of context as far as you know development and the challenges in, in developing countries. Um, and throughout my sort of undergraduate career, I, I also had opportunities to start things and build things. So I'd say I had sort of an entrepreneurial streak, not in like the business <laughs> sense, just the starting things.
1: I'm I'm curious. Do you re- do you remember what Gaetano said that got you convinced? You know, you're working on medical record systems in Rwanda. Like what what was it that finally got you to go home to work on data collection? <laughs> yeah, I like mean, even I remember- saying it, it doesn't even sound that sexy. Actually-
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember. I mean, I really was. I remember I was on a beach in Dar Salaam, and I'm like, having a great time when the email came That's in. great. I know. It's just yeah. like, I, at that time, I was deep into working on, like, SMS systems. Um, and so I just wanted to keep wandering Tanzania, working on SMS-based stuff. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, ultimately, Gaetano didn't really uh, convince me. It was Carl, um, Carl Hartung, who is a graduate student and my co-founder in ODK, who said, <laughs> you know, essentially, like, you know, what do you have to lose? We're all going to, to Google to work for a summer Um, let's just come and hack on stuff for a little bit. Um, the thing that gave me the permission to sort of go was that Gaetano had said, you know, you can still work on your SMS stuff if you want. Like if you come and it's like a total garbage experience, um, you know, you can continue to work on, on SMS uh, stuff if you want. And I think Gaetano Mm -hmm. had a really good sense of what motivated me and, um, and that I liked optionality. And so giving me Mm -hmm. that that option to say, like, hey, if you come and it doesn't work, you can continue to do whatever you want, and it's not going to be a big deal. Um, and I think you nice. that once I sunk my teeth into the problem, like a pit bull in global development, <laughs> I wasn't going to let go. So it, it all worked out nicely.
1: It's great to have that, that encouragement and that creativity in a PhD advisor. I think a lot of advisors don't create that space.
0: Yeah, I feel very lucky in that sense, because Gaetano was a, a very unique kind of advisor who Really cared about building a better human being in many ways rather than a a good grad student. And you can see that in the the breadth of students and the kinds of students, you know, students who wouldn't probably typically, um, you wouldn't expect to succeed in a top CS program. Gaetano tended to pick students who have not traditional backgrounds, um, but Hmm. had a variety that would produce interesting outcomes. And so um, he always gave us the freedom to just, you know, do whatever we're interested in. Like He wasn't interested in global development when it started, right? Um, Gaetano's students <laughs> were interested in ubiquitous computing and, and hardware. Um, but um, hmm. as the students got more interested in global development, he switched and it, global development became his research area. It's very unusual for a, a faculty advisor to do that.
1: That is that is unusual. And I, I'd love to hear more. I think I haven't heard this in other forums about what it was like building ODK together. You know, like there's this the summer of code, were you like down in down in the in the weeds, the, weeds. Of, the of
0: the code? <laughs> <laughs> no, not not so much. So the way it worked was that Gaetano was essentially on sabbatical at Google, and with the sabbatical, mm-hmm. he got funding um, from the Android team and Ruben at the time and Google.org, which was more of a philanthropic thing at Google at the time, to say hmm. Android is this new open source op- uh, uh, OS that's coming out, and we want interesting things built on it. And as researchers, we thought wouldn't it be neat to take an entirely open source OS and do something interesting with it? Uh, and so for the Android team, it was interesting to get, you know, early adopters building interesting things, researchers. And for us, it was like, well, we had, this is the first time we've had a, a truly exciting Linux based mobile oper- operating system. We do all sorts of crazy stuff with it. Um, and so mm-hmm. we were on sabbatical and we were being paid by the Android team and org. So it was myself, Carl Hartung, Waylon Brunette, Adam Lehrer. And so the four of us, Hacking on the code, and so it wasn't summer of code. We were essentially Google interns for a year, um, working inside of Google but on external on an external project, and and building it day by day. Um, one fun fact was that it wasn't called ODK when we started; it was called Surveyor, oh. Surveyor, and Surveyor <laughs> Central. Surveyor was the mobile, and the the, the server was called oh, Surveyor Central.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, fun fact. It's, it's deep in the bowels <laughs> of the code if you look really closely. Um, and so we built a first prototype. Uh, and deployed it with MTN in Uganda and Grameen Foundation and got, you know, feedback and traction. And that's what started the journey. So that was in in fall, I think, October 2008. Um, so and what, just, what yeah. I
1: find interesting about that is, like, it's it, it's remarkable. Like, 2008 was when I believe Android was, you know, became public. You know, at the time, it was like, oh, it would be cool to have an open source operating system. But we didn't know that this would be the one. And we definitely didn't know it would have the market share that yeah. it currently has. Like, it's did wild. you did you... Yeah, like what, like, I guess if if Android itself had not succeeded, I guess, do you think ODK would be in a completely different space right now?
0: Yeah, I don't think ODK would be successful if not for Android. And um, I have to give some credit here again to Gaetano, is that he had this vision that said, you know, we're tired of building G2Me apps and, <laughs> and apps, for those who <laughs> Thank are familiar. Um, and that here's an opportunity to be on the cutting edge of this, you know, this new thing. Um, and so it is true that if Android was not a success, ODK would not. Be a success. This is sort of the joy, or you know, this is what makes um, being at the right place at the right time, you know, exciting. Uh, so yeah, for sure.
1: And just to, just for the uh, benefit of our audience, J two me apps are the the old like feature phones, you know, pre smartphone uh, that many people still use, um, but that were awful <laughs> for deploying code absolutely. on. It's like awful for for installing things on and keeping them on there. And how much. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm digging my nose in too deep here, but like apart from Google paying your salary, did they help you out more? Was there like a collaborative space there? Or Was it really just like you know the Three Musketeers and D'Artagnan in a Google basement somewhere? <laughs> what an
0: odd <laughs> reference! Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. All they provided really was the salary and a physical space for us to work in, and then yeah. the. Uh, they provided access to Android phones, so Carl and I carried. I don't know. I guess the, the statute of limitations have passed. Um, we carried the first Android phones into Africa. <laughs> they didn't have wow. like legal, you know. So we we bought twenty. We we got twenty uh, Motorola G ones from Google, and we we put them in our luggage, and you know we 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 went to Uganda with them without getting. That's awesome. To- yeah, that's
1: what you should be famous for bringing Android <laughs> to Africa. Forget ODK. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that was a fun experience. But yeah, Google provided us, you know, the devices, the space to work, um, some guidance on how to open source things, um, as long as some initial connections. Um, because, you know, when you say like, oh, you're working with Google, uh, you know, organizations are more likely to sort of pay attention to you. So that was very helpful uh, in the beginning as well.
1: <laughs> Tell me about your first 10 users or so. You talked about MTN in Uganda. Like, I'm sure there's a million and one, you know, pets projects and like ideas out there that people have built. How did you get it into the hands of users the first couple of times?
0: Yeah. So um, that's a really good question. We had, you know, relationships with the Grameen Foundation, which is based in Seattle. Um, And so we'd reach out to connections there and um, we knew that there was this sort of farmer agricultural extension project that they were working on in Uganda and they were collecting data on paper and they were, open to trying something new so those are our first group of users Hmm. Uh, and we took these phones it was very interesting because we took these phones to Uganda we trained these were farmers and agriculture extension workers to um, they would be getting text messages from from uh, the government about agricultural extension uh, and they were supposed to sort of you know after they have got a first couple of um, text messages try new techniques and then report back about how those techniques were we or, or working or we're not working. And so we we trained in Jinja, I believe, in Jinja, Uganda. And it was wild to bring out these Android, these flip phones um, <laughs> out to these farmers. And one of the questions <laughs> I remember really clearly was, um, it's a touch screen, right? Um, and one of the farmers said, is, is this phone alive? Does it have blood in it, you know? Um, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. because the first time you, you touch a touch screen, it's so responsive, it, it does feel alive. Um, but with, within 15, 20 minutes, these users had it going. They were going to Yahoo and checking their sports scores. So adoption <laughs> was, was really quick. Um, the two sort of fun side stories is, you know one, um, we learned very quickly that our users are different than other users. So for example, if you if you look at your hands and my hands, we have soft, squishy program manager and programmer hands. Um, That's true. Our calluses are—we have no calluses. But if you're work, if you're a farmer who's working in the fields, your fingers are really uh, tough, and that makes it Hmm. really hard to hit very small touch surfaces on a screen, um, because because of the electrical field that is sort of required that passes through. So if your fingers are like plastic, it doesn't work very well. Um, That's why I'm sure the designers
1: never thought about that. They
0: absolutely didn't. ODK has really enormous buttons, Um, and that's from that Mm. first training experience where we realized that the buttons have to be really much larger than you'd expect because a lot of our users don't have soft programmer hands. Um, (laughs) And then the the other thing is just how bright the screen is and and our bright use of white is that a lot of our users are collecting data in places where there isn't always electricity or they're inside a hut doing a survey. And so the, the contrast and the, and they don't have, Corrected vision, not everybody has glasses. So it's just a lot of UI affordances in ODK today come from that first deployment where we saw, oh, wow, people don't have glasses, they have very tough hands, they're inside a lock where there's not a lot of electricity. And those affordances are, are built into the software to this day.
1: Yeah, I mean that sounds like great feedback to give to Google about the Android platform. Yeah, you know, Google doesn't
0: really take feedback from us anymore.
1: So. <laughs> They're lost. They're lost. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, you know, I imagine it affects a lot of people um on this continent. Yeah. So but it's it's interesting in that like you you had to do a lot of design work, which maybe even is not just an ODK thing, um, but about like the, the overall mobile experience. You know, like, you were introducing these people to Android. Yeah. Must have been mind blowing for those initial users that yeah. you that you worked with. And after that initial set of users, because again, I think there's, um, you know, there's lots of small pet projects where someone goes out there and they get something in the hands of like ten or twenty people. What was the what was the moment in time where you started to feel like okay, this thing has legs. It's got it's got traction. It's going somewhere. It's not just the thing that I'm going to do for you know
0: the rest of my life <laughs> an internship. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. When did I think it? had The moment I thought it had traction was I got an email from organization called Vestergaard Franston I remember this to this day. And they said, we are uh-huh. working on a, a project in Kenya and we've got 4,000, was it 3,000 or 4,000 data collectors using ODK. And back then, and actually to this day, I'm extremely responsive on email to ODK users. Nice. Uh, I responded in an hour and it's like, did you have a typo? Did you mean to say 30 <laughs> or 3,000 <000 laughs> or 3? Or, or three? <laughs> or 300, no. and they responded back and said, no, 3,000 data collectors. Uh-huh. And actually the project is over. We worked on it and it was fantastic. We deployed it. And to me, that's when I knew we had traction because here is an organization that's not particularly technical, working in Kenya. Mm-hmm. They've been able to find the software, download it, install it, use it, train their staff, deploy it on very short notice, collect you know to 3,000, 4,000 people, collect tens of thousands of records, um, and email us after the fact to let us know that uh, it worked as designed. So that's when that's I wild. knew, yeah. And the, <laughs> the fun part about that project also is that um, they had a user in space. <laughs> you know, they had one of their... You're kidding me. Yeah, You're messing one, with me. <laughs> yeah, one of their supporters was uh, astronaut Ron Gagarin, I think. Oh, so I'm probably butchered his last name. <laughs> and he was sort of checking in on the data from this International Space Station. So the whole project was wild. So that's when I knew we had traction was that, you know, this organization was able to find it, get value out of it, and we didn't have to be involved.
1: Nice yeah and I think that really speaks to the the quality of the software As I'm sure anyone who's worked in technology knows that one sign of usage is is all the bug reports <laughs> yeah you know that pop in, but at that point in time, you must have already had um, several like larger deployments in order to have worked out enough of the kinks that they didn't even need to talk to you
0: or we just built beautiful software from day one. no bugs yeah.
1: <laughs> no <issues>. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one, of, one of the other things that you, you mentioned just now is, is about how you're, you're super responsive on email, which which I also found as we were scheduling this podcast, and that was lovely too. Yeah. Um, and that speaks to, I think, another aspect about ODK, which I find quite interesting, is that it's, is there, there's something about the rapport and the dynamic that uh, – I'm not sure if it's just you – that the ODK community – has you know like i i i look left and i look right and this organization is using odk and sometimes they're tiny and sometimes they're not can you talk a bit about your thinking in in starting that community like how it got started how you built it and how it gained momentum as a community
0: yeah it's um f- it's one of the biggest assets in many ways of the project um one of the things that makes it unique and and powerful um so from day one we had a mailing list um a Google groups mailing list with, you know, users and developers. And um, because grad school is so stressful, I would get my joy out of responding to user questions rather than doing research. <laughs> people have the found, hobbies. <laughs> yeah. I found it was just better to help people on the mailing list. And I think that responsiveness allowed us to iterate much faster in ODK and build a sense that here are people who are building the software who really care about your success, whether you have a small project or a large project. And um, So that's sort of became the culture in ODK, certainly from my perspective. And it was, Hmm. you know, it was not just me, but I would say like 25% of the traffic on that mailing list came from me. Um, I mean, I just really like sending emails about ODK. And so that has built a a culture (laughs) where we are hyper responsive. uh, And I think our users appreciate that. The community now, the forum has about 14,000 people on it. Wow. Which is a lot of people. That is a <laughs> um, lot of people. Damn. And these are folks who are answering support questions from each other. You're giving us feedback on features. they are joining feature discussions. Uh, the ones that stick around are made moderators of the forum to, to help kind of continue the culture. Um, there's a marketplace where people can post job listings. So for me, the community is how we stay in touch with the day-to-day workings of organizations in the field. And it's sort of how we build the software, and um, that community extends beyond just the core ODK tools. So people, you know, who are listening to this might be familiar with Kobo or Ona, and these are all ODK compatible um, uh, servers. And so their users also participate in the community, which makes the community even bigger. And then there's also, um, you know, closed source forks of ODK. So ODK is not just a software now; it's this huge ecosystem of compatible. Pieces of software, and that has really, you know, built a a nice ecosystem where it doesn't matter what specific ODK software you're using. The skills and the techniques and the software and the the ideas apply to a broader a broader range of tools.
1: It sounds like a, a behemoth. I'm just trying to imagine fourteen thousand people just like moderating that. Whoa.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's um, you have to enjoy it for sure. <laughs> for sure.
1: And how did how did they, how did they find out about you? You, you know, like I, I think many people who, who start things would love, you know, would love to get their first thousand or, you know, even a measly 10,000 people on it. Like, how did you, how did you get the word out there so that people would hear about it, try it, use it?
0: Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I think I was looking to <laughs> listen to one indie hacker podcast and, um, in it, um, I think it was John O'Nolan from Ghost, which is another open source project. But anyway, he had said that when you get traction, like you don't you know you have traction. It it, it would be so obvious to you that um that you you found a good fit. And in our case, we don't really have to advertise because our the users who, who manage to find ODK either through search or, or whatever. Um, and find success with it, they get very excited about it. And in fact, I'm going to read you a message I just got on LinkedIn mm, an hour ago. Huh. Um, it says, it you know, um, this person just connected to me and, you know, hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than glad to be connected. Honestly, I'm into health. Um, I was asking him about an educational project, but I am so passionate about ODK. <laughs> and so I asked him, I love the passion. What gets you excited? Um its interoperability, being able to connect to other systems and connecting to Tableau. I love its ability to do offline data collection. This is good for conducting research in deprived areas. And I get this emails all the time in that <laughs> ODK is not a fit for everybody, but for the folks who find success with it and find it useful, they get, they're extremely passionate about it. Nice. I was at a dinner party, I live in San Diego. I was at a dinner party in San Diego, <laughs> just have, you know, having some barbecue or whatnot. This was before <laughs> pandemic times. And um, I, I meet this this gentleman uh, Eddie. Uh, he said he's from Kenya, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And he says, "What do you work on?" And I was like, "Oh, I work on this project called ODK." And his he, he, his eyes lit up. He says, "ODK, I use ODK," <laughs> and he pulls it out of he pulls out his phone, and indeed ODK is running there. Um, oh, that's it, amazing! That's so awesome. That, that's what I mean. Is just you know, it's not for everybody, but for those who who find it and and find success with it they really they love it and they they talk fondly about it you know i get emails like oh i used odk 10 years ago i'm oh, so so glad it's still working uh, people just have a love for it and i so, so to answer your question it's word of mouth
1: that's awesome
0: it's all word of mouth we don't have a marketing budget you know so yeah, yeah. it's just all sounds like viral mouth.
1: viral marketing at its best it is
0: viral <laughs> marketing for sure
1: <laughs> that's incredible it, the way the way that you that you talk about the story and you talk about its traction it, it sounds like a smooth ride you know it sounds like you just started working on it everyone loved it it was great it scaled up you didn't they didn't even tell you that they scaled up and they scaled up <laughs> let's you know let's yeah you know, did, did any like what were some of the some of the low points what were some of the risks what are some of the points where you were like i just don't know if this is going to work out or this is just too hard because i'm sure you must have had some
0: um maybe i would say <laughs> so I guess the first thing is some context about the kind of the kind of person that I am and my mind. One is that I'm very much an optimist. Two is that I'm extremely comfortable with failure, and I have no shame about talking about my failure and things that haven't gone well. Um, hmm. And I'm I'm also very comfortable with with grinding, as in showing up every day doing things that nobody cares about for years at a time. Um, <laughs> I'm just like that very com- commitment. <laughs> yeah, I'm just very comfortable with with all of that. And so uh, with those particular personality traits, there was um there was never yeah, a well, moment. Let's
1: let's dive in. Let's talk about those, <laughs> yeah. you know, those those failures that you that you went through optimistically or those those days where you were like, you know, you were like, this is a grind, but I'm still gonna stick stick through it.
0: Yeah. for me, as long as um um <laughs> my uh, I'm calling my, you out, yeah. <laughs> my my dear wife used says, like, you know, if Yao loses a leg what he's going to say is not that he's lost legs, that like, I've lost all this weight. I am now even more aerodynamic. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you still have both your legs. I have both my legs and, and both my hands right now. No, so um, <laughs> for me, um, there hasn't been an occasion where I thought like this is a disaster or this is not going well. We haven't had, you know, huge experiences with data loss, for example, or, or where the software has failed. We've been very fortunate in many ways. I think the things that are, our failures, in a sense, are you know this notion of a community-oriented global health project. The sustainability and like how that actually gets paid for isn't so hmm. clear. So I think people have this notion of open source, where oh, like, people will show up and they'll build software and it'll be a big kumbaya community project. And for some project, it's like that. But the reality is, ODK there's a lot of code there. It's a very high risk code, and that people are using it for Ebola vaccine tracking and and monitoring <laughs> elections and and it's a Mm 10-year-old code base. So it's not the kind of thing that somebody would just show up as a volunteer and just like jump into. It's very complicated. And so the reality is, even though the software is free, it costs real money to build. And for the last, you know, ODK started in 2008. So um, for the last 10, 12 years, it, it has always been sort of hand to mouth figuring out how do we actually fund those kinds of things? So that's what, that's the kind of sort of failure and challenge that um, at this stage in the project, um, that's what keeps me up at night is how we solve that problem, how we figure that out. Those are the challenges. It's, you know, when you realize, like, you know, realistically speaking, the project, you know, for the last five, 10 years, it's always a few months away from bankruptcy, if you can call it that. Or rather, oh. s- somebody, and this is the case for, I would say, most open source projects. Um <laughs> Is but that does
1: sound stressful. It is
0: very stressful. It's just like, well, if an, another contract doesn't come through, or if we can't find a bunch of contributors, there's nobody who can take on the responsibility of this enormous code base for free. It It, it just doesn't work. Right.
1: Yeah. And it's really great to hear you talk about that openly. You know, like I think a lot of people who are like when when I hear ODK, I think of it as such a success story. And hearing that even with such a success story, just like that sustainability challenge is, is still present and like is present for, for years, makes it clear that this is not an easy space to work in. You know, and if there's other people out there that are trying to build the thing and they're like, ah, I can't. Why can't I? Why can't I pay for this all? Uh, maybe it's just a hard sector to pay for it all.
0: It is in many ways, and um, maybe this is a little inside baseball uh, for folks, but um, there is a lot of money, like actual money in global development, right? If you think about how many land cruisers there are driving over Africa, what the diesel costs are, um, the cost of in in the pre-pandemic days flying you know, people around the world to have conferences where they discuss sustainability, whereas if they mm-hmm. just took the money to discuss sustainability and, and gave it to a project, the project would be <laughs> sustainable. Um, so there's plenty of money in global development, yeah. billions of dollars, um, but sure. not all of it sort of filters down to the, you know, to projects. And so there are structural right. problems that make this very difficult, you know, a difficult problem to oh. solve. Um, so and that- how has
1: that affected you in your in your journey as you're like struggling through this?
0: Um, you know, I don't get a lot of sleep sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the nature of the beast. No, I mean, I think um, there's been two approaches that I've tried to take over the last couple of years. One is to, and I think, you know, the big funders know this already that, you know, it's very difficult to have a successful software project where you give away the software and don't charge money for it. I mean, when you mm-hmm. say that, it sounds ridiculous, but that's what a lot of us are doing, right? We're making mm-hmm. software. Which is, you know, people at Google get paid a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year to work on software that are f- less complexity, and so we're making software as volunteers for free, giving it out, and so obviously that doesn't work um, because there are not a lot of volunteers to do that. So um, yeah, and it's
1: tricky because that's also, I think, a lot of the appeal. Of ODK, you know, like it's free. You download it, you use it. You don't have to talk to anyone. Yeah. Um, but then, how do you? How does it not stagnate? Yeah. <laughs> how does it
0: so? What we, you know, we I've been talking to funders uh, for the last I don't know forever, um, saying that you know if if funders and countries like this model where it's 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 free to use and, and open source in this way, um, then there needs to be sort of funding for it somehow. Uh, so that could come from the countries, that could come from the funders, and to me, it's not unreasonable um, because, for example, malaria bed nets are not sustainable, right? Like giving away mm-hmm. malaria bed nets isn't. Nobody says, well, but this isn't financially sustainable. People do say that here's a a good thing that we want to do. These are public goods that we want to give to the world, uh, and so we should find some way to, you know, pay for it. Um, right. and so in the same way, if you want software that is a public good, there has to be some way to pay for it. And it can't just be kumbaya magic. So that's what I've been telling funders. And I think Mm. structurally, it's going to be very difficult for funders to make that change. But that's the change that needs to happen if they want more things like ODK to exist in the future. Um, But as of Mm. today, what we've done on ODK is we need to take more ownership of the problem. And so um, we are now providing folks who want to pay things of value that they can pay for. So, if you don't want to host ODK yourself, you can pay us, and we will put it on the cloud. We'll provide technical support um, for it, and you know, you pay us for that service. Um, or if you want a feature and that you don't sense. have a, a developer team to pay for it, then you can hire the developer team, and we will work for it to, um, to you know, to put it in software. So, just going away from the model where it's just like, oh, people when they want to contribute can contribute to. These are very clear ways that you you can pay us money and that money will go to making the software um so that's what we're doing but for the broader ecosystem you know i think if funders and countries want more things like odk like the next kind of odk to exist um there has to be you know a way for there to be consistent reasonable small but meaningful amounts of money that go to make it happen
1: yeah i'm i'm reminded of uh Paul Farmer um, and his his argument in Mountains Beyond Mountains, you know the, the the global community was was saying, you know, we can't give people you know in poor African countries uh, drugs for HIV. It's too expensive. And yeah. he was like, well, we we do it in the West. <laughs> yeah. So and it's, it's still expensive in the West. We still don't have a way of pay for it or justify. It, but like we do it anyway. So if we're doing it in the West, we should just do it everywhere because it's a it's a it's a good you know it's a it's a global good.
0: <laughs> yeah. And. Um, and Paul's story is—I um, worked for Partners in Health as you know in Rwanda mm. for six months, and so I'm very Which is familiar- Paul's organization, Which is Paul's organization exactly. And so it's not—I guess it's not surprising that I have a similar, a similar <laughs> mindset when it comes to the software side of things.
1: <laughs> I also enjoy the little parts of that book where he like. Steals a microscope from Brigham Hospital in Boston and, and brings it to Haiti. I was like, "Oh, I'm amazed you can publish stories like that." <laughs>
0: we still know software. <laughs>
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, we only have a few a few more minutes left before we switch to the the rapid fire questions. Um, maybe just one or two more questions for you, Yao. If you looking back on the story of of ODK, what would you say is the the secret? to your success, either for you as an individual or for the effort in the organization? Um, what, what do you think made it what it is today?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. One is, and probably the most important, which is maybe not helpful to folks, is, is just luck. Huh. It helps to be at the right place at the right time with the right team in the right environment. And so the existence of Android, the fact that, you know, myself, I'd, I'd been wandering through Tanzania at a time and that Gaetano was open to having the students. There's like a bunch of stuff that happened that enabled the thing to exist. So I think luck plays a huge role. And then the second thing is just consistency and, and grinding things out. So showing up every day, regardless of what was happening to move things along and being responsive and supporting people. So taking a committed and customer focused, user focused Approach things just you know. There's a lot of projects where if you ask a question, you won't get a response, and that has a huge impact on adoption. So just responding to people, and even if it's the answer is no, just showing up and saying like, "I'll be here, I'll respond, and I'll be there for as long as you need." That plays a huge role in the success of a project. I feel. And then the 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 third thing is that, you know, it works. (laughs) It it (laughs) it does what it says on the tin, and so. (laughs) timing, the consistency, and the fact that it worked, I think are, are big things. The fourth thing, and we have to mention this, is that it's free. There's a there's, <laughs> a there's a huge difference for global development or, you know, places where there isn't a lot of, of money. There's a huge difference between zero dollars and one dollar. One dollar requires a credit card. It requires a PO you know it requires lawyers looking at agreements. Whereas zero dollars doesn't require any of that. It just allows people to use the thing. And so the fact that ODK was free at the beginning, is free now, means that you don't have to go through that painful process of getting $1. You can just use it. Use it without restriction. Use it on your own infrastructure. And I think that's a huge part of the adoption that we saw.
1: That makes a lot of sense. One idea, particularly around you talking about like grinding it out and the consistency and showing up every day. Um, I, f- I forget who coined this term. I'll attribute it in the show notes. But there's this concept of like luck. Surface area, you know, it's it's hard to control luck. You know, it's hard to manage that. But if you if you grind it out, if you show up day after day, every single day, then you have the chance to be lucky every single day, um, and that increases your the chances increases the luck that you have in some way. And so there's an interesting way in which the attributes that you're talking about sort of feed each other in, um, and have played out in the incredible community and user base, um, that you've built out over all these years.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that the statement goes, um, the the harder I work, the luckier I seem, is, is how I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that phrase. Uh, I like that. <laughs>
1: um, we can move on now to the rapid fire questions. First, in our series of rapid fire questions, Yao is um, whether you have any requests that you would make for donors or policymakers who might be listening to this podcast.
0: Yeah, um, the two things are favor proposals that contribute to public goods, not just use them. You know, a lot of a lot of proposals mm. that come to funders are like, we will use these public goods. Okay, well, well, how are you going to contribute to making those public goods better? Are you just going to be in the garden ruining the garden that people have built? Or are you going to be producing, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, are you going to be contributing? So favor proposals that contribute to public goods.
1: Gotcha. Um, on the technology side, um, could you recommend a technology platform, someone else's, one that you haven't been involved in so as to remove your own bias?
0: No, I cannot do that. <laughs> I can only recommend ODK and ODK only. No, um, I like Discourse. Discourse is a community uh, platform that we use. I really about-
1: thought that was going to be your answer. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's a, it's a platform that we use. Um, and it's been really helpful for us to grow the ODK community and keep it healthy and engaged. I cannot say enough nice things about that platform. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, it's, yeah, nothing but nice things to say about that.
1: Great. Um, is there a common implementation mistake or fix that you would you would highlight for some of the people out there who are doing these digital health or data collection projects um, that you've seen?
0: Yeah, one very technical and one not so technical. So the first is that date time is a lot more complicated than you think. <laughs> Building anything that records dates and times is like a really complicated thing. So just keep that in the back of your mind for the programmers who are listening. And then for the non-programmers, I would say um, this notion that build it and they will come um, is not true. Um, build it and no one will come. Um, you have to build it and then show up every day and tell people about it and and then maybe a few people will show up. So yeah, that's one common thing that I see. It's like, oh, we'll just build it and it'll be amazing. Not necessarily.
1: Um, is there kudos you'd like to give to another mover or shaker in this field?
0: I have nothing but respect for Evelyn Castle which I don't think a lot of people know, but they should know. So Evelyn runs an organization called eHealth Africa. They're sort of a hospital network slash uh, implementer that is based in, in Kano, Nigeria. And I've known Evelyn for quite some time, and it's really been extraordinary to see how she started from, and she's built this really incredible organization with, I think, probably thousands of people now who are providing health services all over Nigeria and Africa. They've been really essential, and um, polio eradication and the Ebola crisis in West Africa. Um, and Evelyn in particular just has, um, is just a great leader and has been able to just build this incredible organization. So uh, people should check out Evelyn Castle and check out eHealth Africa.
1: Awesome. Last question for you, Yao, is if you could recommend a book, blog, or podcast either related to this work or just for personal interest for our audience.
0: Personal interest. Yeah. Um, the book that I really like—it's an odd choice. Uh-huh. Um, it's called *The Tao of Pooh*. Um, it is—it's it, not about poop. It's about Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Sounds like
1: <it's>, oh, okay. <laughs> it's about it's about
0: it's about. Like, is this
1: a toddler thing?
0: It's not a toddler thing. It's about Winnie the Pooh, um, and it's it's a book that um, I read at a very impressionable age in high school that really gave me a a way to think about how I approach life and problems and particularly being accepting of the things that are coming your way and sort of flowing with it. And uh, if you will permit me, the book starts with this description of what's um, uh, called the Vinegar Tasters, where it's a, it's a painting portraying three great Eastern thinkers, Confucius, Buddha, and Lao Tzu, And they're all drinking mm-hmm. this vinegar and each of them is tasting this sort of vinegar of life and Confucius founds it, finds it, like, very sour and bitter. Uh, finds it very sour. The Buddha finds it very bitter. And Lao Tzu, um finds it very satisfying. And the the story here is that um, each philosopher had a different taste of, of the vinegar. Um, but Lao Tzu just, like, liked the vinegar because it was vinegar rather than because it was sour or bitter. Um, and so huh. it, it gives you some sense of sort of my mentality when I go into these sorts of Uh, things is that there is something beneficial about accepting um, the work for the work's sake and um, uh, trying to make the most of of the situation, try to improve it, but, you know, um, being a little bit more laid back um, about the work that we're doing.
1: That's definitely one I'll have to think about. Next time you come into my place, I'll give you a glass of vinegar and you can I, and you can true, drink up, yeah. <laughs>
0: and true to this day, I do enjoy the taste of vinegar. So there you have it. Oh, I have
1: it. Touch an optimist. Um yeah, this has been lovely. Um if there's folks that are listening to this podcast that want to learn more about you or ODK, um, how can they how can they find out more? How can they get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, so the easiest way to find out more about ODK is to go to getodk.org. Um, we're GetODK on Twitter and on Facebook as well. And um, I am, just Google me if you want to find me. I'm very easy to find. <laughs> um, my email inbox to anybody who's listening to this podcast, you can find me at yanakwa first initial, last name, at getODK.org. You can email me about anything you want to talk about, be it global development, mobile data collection, motorcycles. Oh, boy. It, it just doesn't matter. I have a open <laughs> inbox policy. so glad to talk to anyone about anything and if i can be helpful i'm I'm glad to be of help that's
1: quite the invitation well thank you so much yeah this has been fantastic i really appreciate your your time today
0: and i really enjoyed catching up with you the honor is all mine i had a great time and thanks
1: i wish i could share with you all the conversation yao and i had after i clicked stop recording basically i asked him really really word of mouth that's how odk was popularized you didn't get some assist from from google or from marketing or whatever else and yeah, said really they didn't have the budget for marketing wow what a story hey eh? anyways thanks for joining us on this episode if you'd like to learn more about the things we discussed our show notes are available at dot com. You can also go to the same website to subscribe to future episodes or to sign up for our newsletters in order to get highlights, behind the scenes notes and other commentary about the conversations that we're going to have. And with that, I'll see you next week. Take care. Bye.